Thanks for watching this episode of Turning to Him. I invite you to just take a few seconds right now at the beginning and subscribe to this channel so that you can get more videos like this in your feed. Thanks again. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Turning to Him. My name is Zach Batty, and I am here with Shelby Stanfill. Shelby, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on today. Thank you very much for taking the time to do this. I know you are a wildly successful and popular podcaster. Uh, yeah. So I hope I'm not taking uh, interrupting from your regular schedule. You're so funny. I wouldn't know if I, I wouldn't call us popular, but we have had some experience in podcasting. <laughs> uh, tell me about the two podcasts that you're involved with. Yeah. So my husband and I, my husband is Kevin. He is going to be taking care of our daughter while I'm doing this, but uh, we do a podcast called the book of Mormon podcast. And just to give you a little background in 2019, July of 2019, my husband and I got married and then in September, the very end of September 2019, we started the Book of Mormon podcast. And really all that desire came from was wanting to keep a record for our posterity. We had just gotten married. We wanted to keep some type of record. We didn't really know what. And Kevin had always really been into podcasting. And since I started dating him, I got into podcasting. And so we just decided let's just make a podcast about the Book of Mormon. And that's exactly what we did. We sat down um, on our couch and we grabbed a little lapel mic, you know, the ones that you clip onto your, your clothes. And we just sat there and we shared our testimonies of the Book of Mormon. And then from there, we just said, let's go chapter by chapter. Let's just talk about it. And so that started in 2019. And now from the title page all the way to where we are now, we are in third Nephi chapter 10 this week. So that podcast has 171 episodes now or 172, and it's just been a joy to dive week by week through the Book of Mormon. So we plan on finishing the Book of Mormon next year, and then we want to do another run through again. We just want to keep doing it until until we die. <laughs> so you do a chapter a week. Yes. Right now you're on 3rd Nephi chapter 10. Yes. So. By the time this episode gets published, you will have done 3rd Nephi chapter 11. Yes. So for those of you who are watching this that haven't already subscribed to the Book of Mormon podcast, next week's going to be a good one. Oh, yes. And we've actually already pre-recorded it with a wonderful guest who is uh, Mark Richens. He was the Seminaries and Institutes director here in um, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He moved out to East Texas, but... Man, that episode, I cannot wait for it to release. It's going to, I don't always go re-listen to our episodes, but that one I want to go re-listen to because his insights were just incredible. So definitely if you listen to any of our podcasts, I would do 3rd Nephi 11. <laughs> Where's the best place to subscribe? Um, Really, you can just, if you Google the Book of Mormon podcast and then type in Anchor, that will bring up our our website that will take you to anywhere um that you listen to podcasts specifically okay well that's exciting congratulations on that thank you um share a little bit please about what thoughts came to mind when 
um, you knew you were going to be on this show and kind of what has helped you turn to the Savior or experiences that helped you turn to the Savior? Yeah, so I was thinking about this a lot ever since I knew. And really, there was one, there were two things that kept coming to my mind one experience and then also a scripture. Um, and that's in First Nephi 1, verse 20. And it's at the very end. And if it's okay, I want to read it. Um, he says, But behold, I, Nephi, will show unto you that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen because of their faith to make them mighty, even into the power of deliverance. And I have always loved this scripture and the word tender mercies that the Lord shows over all of the people who are trying to follow him and become like him. And that is what came to my mind as to all of the times that I felt like I've turned to the Lord the most have been when I've recognized those tender mercies the most in my life. And sometimes I can't always recognize them in the moment, but really acknowledging before, after, during any type of trial or affliction that's going on in my life has what's been continually helpful in turning me to the Lord. So that scripture came to my mind uh, a lot as I was preparing that these tender mercies in my life are what helped turn me to the Lord continually. Okay. Um, start us at the beginning. Tell us, you know, where did you grow up? Um, kind of your your origin story, if you will. Yeah. So I am from Modesto, California. I'm a born and raised California girl. When, and honestly, when you grow up in California, they tell you California is the best, right? West coast, the best coast. And I went to BYU, Idaho. And when I went, when I was there, uh, my family and I, we grew up going to Disneyland a lot. And so I, when I went to Disneyland, when I was like 17, I believe it was one of our last trips before I was a senior in high school there was a lady who had a name. She had her college under her name tag at Disneyland. And I said, you're a college student. How are you working at Disney? That led me to the Disney program. Um, and I, when I was at BYU-Idaho, I decided I'm going to go work at Disney World, which is over in Florida. And I am going to get there somehow. I'm going to get into this program, have faith, right? So I'm up at BYU-Idaho for a year. I get accepted into the program in Florida and I go out to Florida for six months. And this is right when the age change happened for missionary service. So I was 18. So that meant if I wanted to, I could go serve a mission the next year at 19. And I had a witness from the spirit that I would serve, but not yet. And so while all my friends were going off to serve missions, I went to Florida to work at Disney World. And I had a lot of missionary experiences there. And I met a lot of people from Texas and from the South, the Southern states. And they were so nice. These people were so incredibly nice. And like, this is not like California at all. <laughs> you know, there's nice people in California, but I just was taken back by the South, really. And particularly Texas. So when I was 19, I said, I'm going to live in Texas one day. Well, fast forward, I get back to BYU-Idaho and about two semesters before I graduate, I finally feel it's the right time to go on a mission. And I'm there and it was not, I'm the oldest of four uh, sisters in my family, no brothers. So it wasn't really ever expected for any of us girls to go on missions. So when I called my parents and said, I'm going on a mission, it was a big shock. It was, oh no, what are we going to do? 
you know, so, they just didn't expect it. So you're 21 ish at this point. Yeah, I'm 22. I want to say 21 or 22. Yeah. Okay. So all of your friends that initially went when they were 19 have come home now. They're home now. Yep. Probably thinking, okay, that that door is closed. We're on to other opportunities. Yep. Yeah. It was crazy because I guess I always say I didn't need the age change. I was always going to go at 21, apparently. Right. Um, but yeah, all my friends were back home. They were up back at college with me. We were roommates again. Um, and I got to hear about all their mission stories. So I'm thinking, I knew when I was 18, I had this witness from the spirit that I needed to go. However, now I'm 21, almost 22. And I feel like time is running out almost. And so it was just very interesting. And I knew I had this desire to be in Texas. So it was just, it was really weird. Well, fast forward, I met with, um, I worked at BYU-Idaho on campus with Sister Valora, Carrie Valora. She talked to me and she said, sometimes you just have to start acting and then the answer will come about the timing. So I said, that's perfect. I'm just going to start my papers. I'm just going to go. Well, as I did that, I then met a young man and we started dating And that kind of, that was so essential for me to get my answer to go or not because marriage, there was a marriage opportunity. So it was, well, Heavenly Father, am I getting married or am I going on a mission? And it was very clear. I needed that relationship to know that I needed to go on a mission. And so I got a very clear answer in the celestial room. By this point, I'm endowed because I've got my call. I've got my papers. I'm getting ready to go right after the semester ends. So all my friends were super excited because they, they had been, and they're like, okay, they all came to California to send me off, um, to hear my farewell speech, I guess. And I go off. Now the best part is guess where I went and served my mission (laughs) in Texas. Yeah. So I get to McAllen, Texas, it's down South. Um, and it's basically Mexico. So it was a Spanish speaking mission. And at this point, Um, I'm just like, this is, this is what I always wanted. I wanted to be in Texas. I knew I was going to be on a mission and there were things at home that were happening and the things that were happening at home, my parents had split in 2015 and I left on my mission in 2016. They did not divorce in 2016 or 2015. They just were living separately. And so I leave on my mission in the middle of all this. And two weeks before I left on my mission, my dad got fired from his job. So that was also like incredibly, like, I don't know what we're going to do, but I still went forward with faith and I'm out here on my mission and I don't really know what's going to happen with my family or my parents because I still have sisters who are at home. I'm the oldest, right? So I still have sisters that I'm worried about and I don't know. And I'm out there knowing that the one thing that's keeping me going is this, my savior, Jesus Christ. I know he's going to take care of my sisters. I know he's going to take care of my mom and I know he's going to take care of my dad. And I think it was about a month and a half into my mission. My dad found another job and he, that job he has been with for a while and it made financially, it helped him much more than the other job that he was at did. And it was the biggest blessing to him and our family. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of sets me up for being in the mission field just about a month and a half. Um, 
But the one experience, if you want me to talk about, was actually towards the end of my mission. Okay. Okay. So at the end of my mission, oh, wait, sorry, what was that? I was just saying, please go ahead. Okay. At the end of my mission, about two months before, and my mission was the best. Okay. The Texas McAllen mission is the best mission. Everyone's got to say what their mission was the best, but mine really was the best, you guys. Um, I did not want to go home because my parents had finally finalized their divorce. It had happened. And I did not want to go back home to uh, split parents because honestly, before I left, I had one week in between semesters that I was at home. So I had never really lived the split, you know, mom and dad life. And I didn't want to go home to that. I wanted to stay in my mission. Um, I had about, I was coming home in October of 2017 and I was starting school back at BYU-Idaho January of 2018. So I I was going to have this little gap of time at home and I really, really did not want to go home. So I remember there was one day, um, my dad actually had permission to call me, um, from the mission president, um, to kind of talk about what was going on with the divorce. And then also, um, I had a, I've had a history of, I don't want to say skin cancer because I've never had skin cancer, but of weird moles on me that need to be removed that could be cancer. So we found one of those when I was out on the field. And so they also gave me permission to talk to my dad about what to do about that. Do we wait till I get home? Cause I'm only home. I'll be home in a month or do you, do we do it right now? So I'm talking to my dad on the phone and he's just unloading the reality of what I'm coming home to the situation with my mom and him, my sister's. And I looked at, after that phone call, I just felt so much despair. It almost makes me get really emotional thinking about it. But I looked at my companion and I said, I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to pray. And I just need time alone. I promise I'm not doing anything I shouldn't be, but I'm just going to go upstairs. um, And I just need some time alone. So I go up in the room, in our study room that has a walk-in closet And I just kneel in the closet and I just cry. And I tell the Lord, I don't want to go home. Like, please do not send me home. I'm having the best time here. I love sharing the gospel. I just am not ready to face reality. And I had very several um, tender moments in that prayer. But the one that I don't mind sharing is the Lord told me um, in that moment, as I turn to him, as I continually turn to him, that the moments that I've had in my life up to this point, all these tender mercies, I will look back on these moments and they will carry me as I move forward when I get home. That I'll look back on the moments I've had in my mission and I'll remember and it will pull me forward in faith as I move forward along the covenant path. And that was so reassuring to me to know that everything up to that point, the scared missionary who doesn't want to go home, it was going to be okay. I was going to come home and I was going to have the Lord there to help me and guide me just as I had been serving and helping and guiding his children. And so that was a very big turning point in my life to know that everything that I had gone through was for a reason. And it was all divine design to help me in my life and become who the Lord wants me to become. Yeah. I, I love that story, and it made me think of two things that I'd love to hear your thoughts on. 
-hmm. number one, I think sometimes we are scared to have true, honest conversations with our Heavenly Father. And we feel like when we pray, we feel like every prayer needs to be a sacrament meeting prayer, just very proper, almost kind of superficial, you know, pray for the missionaries, which is, of course, great. Pray for the bishop. Pray for the it's great. But as far as when do we sit down with not the creator of the universe, but our mm -hmm. heavenly father and yeah. say, I'm having a tough time. I'm really, I'm scared about this. Or even this was the funniest day ever. You'll never believe what my kids did. And just, and, and we have a, a real conversation with our heavenly father. And it sounds like so many deep experiences happen when we are able to be familiar enough with prayer and comfortable enough with our heavenly father, we can say, Hey, this is how I'm really feeling. And I know that you already know that, but I need to say it out loud. And then will you help me know how to process this? Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. What are your thoughts? You know, what comes to my mind is knowing that you're a child of God. So when I was at BYU Idaho, my major is in social work. And so I had a developmental psychology class and I promise this will answer your question, but he kind of drew on the board. We were talking about facets of self, like our worth, our esteem and our confidence. And he said, what is our worth? If you think of a bullseye, our worth is right in the center. It is unchanging. And it's that we're a child of God. And he said, and then outside of your worth, the second bubble is your esteem. And that is how you feel about yourself based on your worth right? So if you believe you're a child of God, the way that you act and the way that you are will be because of your confidence in Christ and who he is and who you are. So your esteem builds naturally from that. And then outside of that is your confidence, right? Your confidence with others. And that's with other, you know, that's people outside in the world, um, things even, right? And so I think about that in having a real honest conversation with your heavenly father, is what I think I came to understand on my mission. And in that moment was, I am his child. I am his daughter. And he wants to hear from me. He wants to know what I'm going through. And so when you realize that worth and it's never going away, why wouldn't you want to talk to your heavenly father? Right. And then that helps you feel better about yourself because you know, he's there to help you. So you're going to then get up and feel better about yourself and then go act in confidence with all those people around you because you know you have this divine worth inside of you. So yeah. those are just my thoughts on having that conversation is if you can get to a place where you know that you are his his daughter, or his son, man, that just changes everything. Yeah. And then understanding that so is everybody else. Everybody else has that same core of worth that you have. Yep. And so being able to treat others that way. And I, and I mean, really, that's the life, lifelong lesson that we all, well, I don't know if we all, I fail at repeatedly and then right. get better at and then fail and then get better. At, and, and hopefully it's an upward trend. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that. And I would just add to that, you know, a lot of my I love my education. I got a BYU-Idaho, BYU-Idaho. And in one of my classes I took there, it was on how to run a group therapy session. Uh, Brother Ray said something. He said, don't ever forget that everybody around you has a story and has the same worth that you do. Mm -hmm. And that 
completely changed my perspective whenever I meet somebody. I mean, Zach, I know you have a story, right? I know that you have experiences in your life that have led you to this point. And to be curious about other people and their stories and get to know them, I mean, that's exactly what the Savior did. And so if we can tap into that, it's it's really empowering to come to know his children and those who are around us, right? Yeah. Another thing that your story made me think of is this idea that um, there will be t- our, our spiritual growth is not linear, mm-hmm. nor is the ease at which we have access to spiritual opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the story that you told that made me think about that was at the beginning of your mission, um, I mean, it was, it was difficult because your parents had split. So there was some uncertainty there. You didn't know, but you mentioned I'm in Texas. I'm on my mission. Like everything is fantastic. Life is trending up right now. And in a way there is spiritual fruit all around me that is just easy to pluck. And I'm just eating it. And I'm not, I'm not having to worry about the harvest. I'm not doing like there is bountiful spiritual opportunities. You come to the end of your mission. You're having this conversation with your father. And you said some. I mean, you said something to the effect of, "My father is unloading the reality of what I'm coming home to." Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I almost picture you stepping to the to the edge of the garden and realizing, "Okay, the next chapter, I'm going to have to work a little bit to get this spiritual fruit." Yep. Okay, I I better save some. You know, thankfully, spiritual mm-hmm. fruit is not like manna it keeps, we can, now you always need to be exercising it and, and, you know, sharing your testimony, things like that. But, you know, and the the Lord says to you as, as well as I, I want to say it was president Iring, you know, where he tells a story of these experiences that you're having are not just for you. Mm -hmm. They're meant to be shared. And, and that idea that we can, it's always, we're not always going to be in the middle of a good time. Right. Sometimes we are going to go through the desert and we are going to have to rely on the past experiences and the past uh, surplus of spiritual growth. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. And, you know, in, in line with my story and what you're talking about coming to the edge there, right? Like I'm about to step into a new part of my life, right? As one door closes, another door is opening and that door might not be very, appealing to look into as I peeked into it. Right. Um, but the one thing, uh, that assured me in that moment was that I had this savior with me that in all the happy moments on my, don't get me wrong. A mission is very hard to do, but, or, and, and it was also one of the funnest, most joyful times of my life. And I recognized the savior in that joy in those really incredible miracles that I saw. And so I'm coming from, like you said, constantly being in, in this bubble of <laughs> spiritual happiness while still having some trial, um, going, knowing that I could have the savior in my happy times and also have the savior in my hard times, right? Like he never leaves me like in this room of my life that was a mission he was there and he will continue to be there as i walk through the next door 
right? Because he's prepared that next door. He knows what awaits and he's there to help me walk through it and flip on some light switches in the room so I can get some more revelation about how to proceed forward, right? And so not only does that help me, but then it helps me relate to somebody who might be going through the same thing. Like you said, the experiences that I had and continue to have even to this day, uh, help me relate to people who are going through something similar, right? I can share, you know, have you ever thought of this? This is what I did and it really helped me. And not that, you know, it's going to solve all your problems, but it definitely lightened my load a little bit. And it gave me the confidence to keep moving forward because sometimes you don't feel like you can keep moving forward, right? Um, especially when you just feel like the whole world is, all that reality is coming down on you, right? Um so I don't know. Those are just some thoughts I have there it, in my mission. I just had this uh, analogy of doors, like doors were always going to open my whole life, but the Lord was always going to prepare me for whatever was to come or is to come. Yeah, that's, that's so true. And I love that you kind of said that it, the savior is preparing those doors um, mm-hmm. and that we are working with him as co-creators to, to build our lives and yep. he will help us build the life that we want. And I think that's what, when I started, when we first started this, what, why I brought up that verse in first Nephi uh, at the end chapter or at the end of chapter one, verse 20, I think those preparing moments are those tender mercies that you see from the Lord. Um, you know, my roommate would always make a joke. <laughs> this is after my mission. Uh, just because I realized that nothing was a coincidence. <laughs> nothing was ever by coincidence. It's always divine design. I love Elder Rasband's talk, Divine Design. It was given the October conference of 2017 that I went home. And so that talk meant a lot to me about divine design. And so my roommates always used to say, you know, Shelby can just look at her toothbrush and know that the world's going to be okay <laughs> because the Lord would teach me some type of analogy about something. Right. Um, but really if we're looking for the Lord in our lives daily, he's always trying to reach out to us and show us like a simple example. I always give is you're on your way home from work and you hit all green lights on the way home. That's a tender mercy to me because you're getting home to, to your family faster. The Lord wants you to be with your family. He wants you there, right? Some days you're going to have some red lights. It's going to be a little tough. It's going to, you know, he's still there. Um, but these things are showing me that he loves me and he wants the best for me. And so as I've continually looked for those things, even in the hard times, I see them all the time. Um, that's what pushes me towards him is oh, he's right there with me. Right. Sometimes yeah. I see a lately I've been seeing a lot of butterflies and I don't know why, but they just bring me a lot of peace. And I'm like, the Lord's here. He's yeah. here guiding me and he's watching over me as well as everybody else around me. Yeah. Well, and and who's to say on those days that you're driving home and you get all red lights, that that's not a tender mercy, too. We just exactly. don't, you know, people can easily write that off as, oh, well, you're just you're just willing to attribute everything to God, to which I say, yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely yeah. right. <laughs> There's, I don't think that's a bad thing. So I don't think it is either. I think if anything, it helps you realize that you are his child, right? You are his daughter, or his son more. And that just builds your, your, your worth more and in turn builds your self-confidence and your self-esteem. 
Yep. So yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that experience and sharing an afternoon with us. I uh, really learned a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you. And I do just have to say, I hate ending on cliffhangers. Um, I mentioned that I had, you know, like a mole on my mission that we were deciding if we were going to get removed or not. Um, we did end up getting it removed before I came home. So I don't know. I'm one of those people where if a story's told, I need to know the ending. So I just had to say that in closing that I was okay. Nothing happened. Um, and I did come home and everything, you know, the Lord helped me through everything coming home, uh, but it did take work on my part, right? I definitely had to lean into him more than I ever had before. So, you know, we've got a little bit of time. I would love to hear about your transition from mission life to home, because that's tough for a lot of people, especially, you know, where you come, you came home to a split family situation. What did you do yeah. that? It was really weird. I will say that because I like I was at college when they split. So I didn't have to go back and forth like my sisters did. So they were used to it. But I came home and it was weird. I was like, this is I'm not used to this. And so not only was that hard, but also trying to keep up your habits in the middle of like something you've never been in was also really hard. And so I had um Lots of moments before I left my mission, I actually wrote on sticky notes, lots of promptings I was getting of things to do when I came home. And I had that pile of sticky notes with me and I read them when I got home and I said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do all these things. And so that really helped set me up for being home. But I think it was about two weeks into being home. Uh, I had a, I, I, I want to call it a breakdown where <laughs> we were on the way to my sister's um, uh, game. She was a cheerleader. And we were on the way to the football game and the music they were listening to was not music I wanted to listen to. There was fighting in the car. My sister was actually going to Starbucks to get coffee. Like there was just all these things going on and it just was not where I wanted to be. And I just started bawling in the car and it went silent. My sisters, my mom, my dad wasn't here, but my mom was and it just went silent. And they said, Shelby, what's wrong? And I said, this is not the environment I want to be in. I was just honest. I said, I don't want to be here. There's fighting. There's, you know, no commandment keeping here. Right. And I, I just didn't want to be there. And the whole ride there to the game was just silence. And I pulled myself together and, you know, I think my sisters realized at that point that I had also changed because before that wouldn't have bothered me. Um, and I was going to keep pursuing that type of life, right? Like a, just trying to live the way the savior would have me live. And so that moment I had with my sisters and that breakdown, once I got home, I really had to turn to the Lord in my scripture study and my prayer. And I prayed for him to help me kind of get out of this funk. How can I be here and be an example and keep doing what I was doing in a new way, right? I know I'm not a missionary, but how can I find new purpose? And what came to my mind the next day, I was watching uh, Moana, that Disney movie had come out when I was on my mission. And the spirit just taught me so many analogies about Moana and goal setting and how Moana had this desire to go past the reef and just all these things. And the spirit, the ocean was helping her reach her goal. Her grandma was there. I had lost my grandma when I was 15. So the analogy of a grandma being there guiding you like really struck home with me because I had a very deep relationship with my grandma. And so I'm learning all these things in this Moana movie. So I want to say the way that I transitioned was watching Moana and learning from the spirit. 
because that was how the Lord knew to speak to me and how I understood what needed to come next, right? The spirit was going to prompt me, hey, go ahead, get on the boat. Yeah, it's going to be a little hard going past the reef, but I'm going to guide you to Maui, right? So you can get the heart of Tafiti. I'm going to guide you to your next step in your life so you can keep progressing along the covenant path. And so I attribute a lot of transitioning to listening to the spirit and Disney movies. Man, they got me through a lot. <laughs> sure. sure. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, just the idea of being able to put yourself in a place where you can receive inspiration. Yeah. And I, because I, I truly believe that the Lord speaks our language, whatever that is. And yeah. so if it's Disney movies, that's how, that's how the spirit's going to speak to us. If right. it's sports analogies, or if it's marathon running, or if it's however, however the Lord can influence you, he will influence you as long as you're putting yourself in that position. Yep. Because that, um, it was, I, I will, I will say the same thing. I have, uh, there was an institute teacher we had here and he loved baseball. And he said some of the most spiritual experiences he've had, has had, have been at baseball fields. And I believe it. Like, I believe that you don't always have, we should go to the temple. We should always go to the temple, but I do believe that you can be other places and have the spirit just as strong testify to you of things, um, whatever they may be, or help you in your trials where the Lord knows how to speak your language. Right. And so, yeah, Disney movies are mine. Obviously I worked at Disney world, so I'm a big Disney person, but baseball diamonds are another one kayaking, running, just like you said, it's, it's wherever your talents and gifts lie that the Lord is going to come speak to you. Yeah. And just to emphasize what you already said, those things aren't a replacement for the places where we make and keep covenants, AKA right. church, the sacrament temple. <laughs> so yes, exactly. Not an argument for, well, the mountains are my church. Well, Maybe, maybe you should just go to church and the mountains. <laughs> exactly. Do both, right? Those always come first. This is not a disclaimer. We're not telling you not to go to church or the temple or anything. Keep going. <laughs> just if you're outside of that, there's other ways that the Lord can still speak to you. Yeah. Well, thank you again. If, if you're a recently returned missionary listening to this, hold on. It, it gets easier. I promise you. I, I had a similar experience when I got home. I'll share that another time, but it gets easier. That transition can be difficult, can be very difficult. Yeah. So, well, let's yeah. Know you're supposed to be the Lord is with you.